0: Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're joining us here today. All of you up in Port Perry or in Bowmanville, glad that you are also joining us on this cold winter day. As always, in January, we take a small pause between series one Sunday to stop and be reminded about what we are as a church, what we're becoming and what we're about to do, and also we always ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to us in this very moment as a community, as a family, especially as we prepare to, uh, to step out in this next major leg of our journey as a church? So first and foremost, to you who have been with us for decades in this community, to others that have been with us for years, to others that have joined within this last year, and to you that have been with us only for the last few weeks. We together join and form one church community. And once again, I need to remind all of us that there are two critical key ideas that have huge influence over us. And here's how we've articulated them. Common faithfulness and unique calling. Acts chapter two is the most famous and fundamental description of common faithfulness. This is what every single church must look like, no matter denomination, size, cultural expression, or ethnic makeup. This is actually what the very first church 2,000 years ago looked like, and it is the standard, and it's the blueprint for every church since. Let me read these very familiar words. Acts 2.42, they, the original Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Teaching, community, communion, prayer, the presence of God, giving, generosity, loving the poor, large gatherings, small gatherings, baptism, and telling the good news, evangelism. Every single church on earth is commissioned, commanded, and called to do these things. Also, we are fundamentally formed by the last words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven, found in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore go, he said, and make disciples of all nations, that's all ethnic groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, And the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I, Jesus, am with you always to the very end of the age. That is what common faithfulness looks like. That's what it is. But sometimes, out of moments of holy listening, comes God given vision. And we've come to believe at C4 that Jesus regularly is speaking to congregations and movements. We saw this in the book of Revelation. Jesus spoke to the church in Sardis or Philadelphia or Smyrna or Ephesus in different ways. The scripture is full of leaders being issued God-given assignments. The same mission, the same common faithfulness is given to all, but specific callings are assigned usually to leaders. Moses, go do this. Paul, I want you to do that. Philip, go there. When we were fasting and praying the spirit Said these words. Now, in those moments, as always, if God speaks, this should become the inception point for a dynamic vision of a local community. But this, of course, implies being open, learning to listen through spiritual disciplines, fasting, praying. This presumes a church is empowering its people within spiritual gifts to actually discern what's from God, what's from the devil, what's the hummus you had last night, what's from you. So, mission or common faithfulness, Acts 2, Matthew 28. Common faithfulness never change in any environment anywhere on earth. But visions are God-given for a season, and they, of course, will be replaced by new ones. Strategy supports vision for a season, and strategy can change at any time during the vision. Now, number one, does this mean that God will always speak when we listen? No. No. Many times, God chooses not to speak. God is not some genie in a bottle where we rub and says, what do you want? And he appears. He's not a vending machine. God is God and we are not. So if God does not speak, we already have the blueprint for common faithfulness. That's the ongoing call from heaven. but we continually place ourselves in the presence of God to see if the Holy Spirit is speaking because if he is, there might be a unique call. Now of course, if a vision, if something comes from God, it needs to be in alignment with the Bible and Orthodox theology. but why is vision important? not just in a church but in any movement? Visions draw lines of size and emphasis and calling. they are make a community say more no to yes. And those who make up the community have to sit through this and wonder, do I believe in this or not? Do I want to join or do I want to leave? Visions that are backed up with plans don't allow vacuums, presuppositions, or wanderings. They prevent civil war, and they help adjust something that's so important, expectations. Now, if you've been part of our community for a while, you know that we listened years ago and were actually given a God-given assignment that was tested over a long period of time. Our given assignment is to become a regional church of 10,000, meeting the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people in Jesus' name. That is our God-given specific C4 Center task. But beyond vision and beyond common faithfulness, we have also over the last two years been wrestling down what do we think this church should feel like and look like and become. And let me invite you, if you have a Bible today, to turn to the book of Acts. If you don't, it will be at the screens, whatever site you're at. Acts twelve twenty-five. In this moment, we begin to see what we are becoming. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Acts 13.1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So what we already observe about this old church 2,000 years ago in Antioch is word gifts and power gifts are being used. Strong teaching is at the center. Situational prompting by the Spirit is also experienced. But so much more is going on. Let me again say this because I've preached this before. I want whether you're a seeker, a skeptic, a believer, or a long-term follower of Jesus to see the revolutionary power of these few verses. You have Jews, both Hebraic Jews and Greek Jews, who did not get along, meeting together. But not only that, among them now are Greeks and Romans meeting in a church together. And we go, what's the big deal? This is unheard of 2,000 years ago. And look at the list. See how they are outlined. Beyond Saul and Barnabas, who are Jews from different camps, Simeon or Simon called Niger. Now, that's a Latin name given to him because of his skin color. He was African in origin. He's black. Lucius is a very common Roman name, but he's Cyrenian, so he's from what we would call today modern-day Libya. He's North African. Then Mannion, who's the foster brother of Herod. Now, if you know the Christmas story, King Herod in the Christmas story is this guy's stepbrother. This is the same Herod that the wise men talked to. This is the same Herod that killed and murdered all those little children to take out Jesus. And this is the same Herod that had Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, in a drunken rage, beheaded. But his stepbrother is now a follower of Jesus. See, the gospel always divides families when the gospel shows up. The amazing thing in this moment, though, is people and leaders from all backgrounds, Jews, non-Jews, African, North African, Roman, and Greek, are now together. In other words, God, through Jesus' work, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, is actually making a family out of people that hated each other, did not trust each other or against each other, but because of the power of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit, a new thing had begun, and it's been happening ever since for 2,000 years. Now in verse two, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now that word worshiping has a real punch in the Greek version of the Old Testament. It was almost exclusively used for priests and singing Levites in the old Jewish temple. And this is also revolutionary and very controversial because this is now stating that the gathering of Jewish people and non-Jewish people who believe Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God to to fast, to pray, to, to be taught, to hear the work of the Spirit is actually God's new work. In other words, the new temple that's replaced the one in Israel are the people of God found in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit now lives in that temple and the Holy Spirit is speaking. Now, through the spiritual gift of prophecy, the Holy Spirit tells this church in Antioch specifically the will of Jesus, the head of the church. And Jesus' will is that Barnabas and Saul, the two most eminent gifted leaders in this local church, have to leave. The Holy Spirit says, your two best leaders, your two best thinkers, your two best preachers, your two most anointed ones have to now go. Now, where does the prompting happen? It happens during prayer and fasting. See, 4 let me say this again. If spiritual gifts are the only ongoing guaranteed place of power to serve from in a dark world, then spiritual practices, holy habits, are the guaranteed place of meeting with God. They're the vehicles to walk with God after you meet God exclusively and only through Jesus. They become the ongoing place where we become transformed, where we get changed. They also clear the ground and provide the space so we as Christians can hear to get permission. This is how we keep in step with the Spirit. As Jesus was led exclusively by the Spirit and used spiritual gifts to do the profound things he did and used spiritual disciplines to listen to the Father, even though he remained God, because he's not just Savior and Lord, he's our model, local churches are called to be in the same place and the same posture as Jesus was in his own life. In other words, you're saying, well, John, why are you saying this? Here's why I'm saying this. Antioch is our archetype. This is the church that we feel the Holy Spirit is working at to produce in us, to look like, to feel like, to become. So in other words, if you pair Acts 2 and Acts 13, you will begin to feel and understand what C4 is becoming week in and week out. Strong teaching, a place of influence for the kingdom of God in its own region and beyond, spiritual disciplines, mutual submission, strong leadership, growing in cultural diversity, all the spiritual gifts at the center of serving, Sensitivity to the Spirit's leading, prompting that leads to great planning, the staying and going of key leaders and volunteers as the Spirit moves. This is the type of church God is calling us to be. Now, many of you who've been with us for a while might be saying, John, thanks so much. I've heard you say that before. Why are you sharing this again? Well, first, be reminded that where we are going is a place we've never been before. And vision is. Needs to be at the epicenter of what we're doing, but vision leaks at the best of times because of the busyness of life. Second, I need at this moment in January to repaint this picture vividly because of where we're about to go. Let me take a few moments to outline why the next six months are so critical to our whole church family. As a church, we're now standing at the edge of the next major chapter of our church. We are about to go to places we have never actually been before as a church, and we are also going into territory into places as a church we have only heard about but not experienced. First, we're coming to the end of our first major five-year plan. And somewhere in the first or second week of June, we are gonna be unveiling to the whole community plan two, which is gonna show us the next major steps in accomplishing our God-given vision. This plan will outline how we're gonna grow from 3,000, which we are now today, to five to 6,000. It will redefine for us what regionality looks like, and it will all give us the next major steps we're all gonna take as a church family. So I hope you book your calendar, probably June 2nd, because trust me, the oxygen masks are going to fall and it's going to be a moment. Second, we're going to be starting our brand new series next week on spiritual gifts. It's been eight years since we've done this series, and the reason why we're doing this again is because we believe with our whole hearts that spiritual gifts are the only ongoing guaranteed place of power to serve from. And it is our need and responsibility at this moment to build a common understanding again that is a common script among all of us that now make up C4 in this season. As we step out together in places we've never been to, we all need to, no matter where we are in the journey, discover rediscover or rededicate and walk in a power that is not our own because God is going to ask us to do the impossible again and we're gonna need a power that's not found within us. Thousands of people have now joined us since eight years ago and this series is critical to our next steps together. But there's more. Third, we've been uh, talking for months and we're excited to announce some new things today around C4 Pickering. C4 Pickering is going to be our fourth site in this church. It's our next faith moment, and we're excited first of all to announce today that we have just hired our site pastor for Pickering, and here's his picture right here. This is Lucas. This is his wife uh, Maria. They're originally from Brazil. They came to Canada out of a series of God moments actually connected to her job. He worked in the business community for seven years. He's been in pastoral ministry for eight years. Actually, he was on staff in a church of 10,000 in Brazil, so he's got it all worked out, so that's great. They have a little girl, and actually, they're expecting a little boy to be born this week. New beginnings all around. So he will be joining us the first week of February. Second, it's our hope to be launching C4 Pickering in October 2019. And let me remind all of us, by the way, the goal of what we're planning to do there. First, one is to reach many more people in Pickering itself. You might or might not know this. There are 70,000 new homes being built in Pickering. It is one of the largest, if not the largest, residential projects in our country at this moment. And yet there is not one designated place of worship planned in that whole other large plan. So we want to step out very quickly and be one church of many that is in Pickering to greet the hundreds of thousands of new residents in Durham, but also to continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus in Pickering to those that are already there. Now we understand that Christians may drive short or long distances to get to church, but neighbors who do not know Jesus or family, they won't do that. That is why we've chosen a multi-site strategy that puts our church and our style and emphasis of church in many local areas so you can invite your friends and family and neighbors with you or direct them there. But second, our goal is to get the many, many, many of you that are coming from Toronto to join the Pickering site for a year or a year plus because you will begin to start forming the communities for where we're going to go in plan two. Now again, we have over 169 families that drive to the Ajax site alone, west of Liverpool. And so Lucas will be connecting with you, trust me, very soon, and we'll begin to launch information nights, build core teams, secure a location, and get ready to launch just in time for Christmas. I know we're all recovering from Christmas, but by this time next year, we will have celebrated Jesus' birth in four locations. Isn't that exciting? It's an amazing moment. You can clap at that, by the way. That's a, that's a good thing. A very excited thing. So, with all of that said, and so much more coming, trust me, by the third week in June, you will know what I mean. What do we all need to think about, be aware of, celebrate, be careful of, and have courage for in this moment? Well, first, let me just say it like this. Change is coming, and change is normal, and all of us as humans don't like change. We are about to become a church we have never been before, and I've said that before in history, and it's happened so let me give you an example of some of the new normal. In Acts 13, we saw how leaders came and went under the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and we are now experiencing this more and more. More leaders and more staff and more key volunteers will join our community, and then we'll leave our community. Now, for some reason, in church culture, even though in every other part of our life change, people coming and going as normal, when someone leaves a key position or staff, I have people come up to me and look at me and say, but John, what's the real story why they left. Maybe you've been one of those people. Now let me, I just want to address this head on. Sometimes there is a real story we can or cannot share with you. But much of the time, there isn't a real story. Either God spoke to them, they're moving on to another position, and life is happening. Here's what I just want to say. We all just need to get okay with the idea. As we get larger as a church, more leaders are going to come, and more leaders are going to go. Let's take Matt as an example at Bowmanville. He was an amazing staff member, did incredible things. And he would tell us that God really did shockingly open a door for him to become a police officer. I was reflecting with another staff member, what an interesting moment after the book of Daniel that he now gets to be salt and light in the police culture in Toronto. Or Lori, who oversaw all our connect groups and transform hospitality, helped with Sunday morning teaching and so much more, was led to leave our staff and now works full-time in a national ministry on TV. And yet Matt and Lori and their families are still here and still part of our community. As we reach out more and as we get bigger, key staff and volunteers will come and go. But what we need to establish now in our minds and our hearts is this, the mission and the vision and the calling of this church are not connected to an individual, they're all gods and he's the one who matters in the end. Can you say amen to that? So let's just be really careful around this, that we're guarding our hearts in the right way. Also, as we reach out more and more, we need to remind ourselves we are one church in many locations. A friend of mine was down here at the Ajax site, which she used to attend with her family for years, and now she's part of our Port Perry community. She said to me in the hall, I'm so excited about your new Pickering site. I've been telling all my friends in Pickering to check it out when it launches. Now, I was excited by that because she was able to invite her friends to her church in another part of the region, which was great. But then I said to her, hold on, why did you just say it was my site? I don't own this site, and by the way, it's not an Ajax deal, it's, it's actually our deal. As we actually spread out more and more, we have to become aware of the dynamic that we are one church in multiple locations, and we're all in this together, and we're one family. There, there is no they, there is only us. But there's more, and this is what I really want to focus on today. In all the change, especially as you get older, a temptation becomes stronger and stronger. Now, many of us, and I'll include myself in this, have been on this church journey together for maybe 20 plus years. I've been in this church since I was 15. Now, my generation of this church is now in midlife. We're a little balder and a little bigger. And I keep on saying to all of my friends in my age group who have been with us for a while, hey, don't you dare become that person you couldn't stand in your 20s. When you were 30 years old and you didn't like that older 45 or 50 or 60 year old who'd become a little angry or jaded or inflexible, I see that happening in you. Don't become what you didn't like. Don't become, and here's the word, cynical. And by the way, that's not just true for my age group in this church. It's a needed word for all of us, whether you're a young adult, an adult, it doesn't matter. Remember, expectations, if they're wrong, can kill beautiful things. I remember when we announced finally that we were going to try to reach 10,000 people and so many left C4, so many of my friends, those who I'd been with for so long. And, and this is what things they said. Well, I like we're at one service, they said. And, and I like that I know everyone. Just Can I just say that? Don't ever say that in church ever again. You don't know everyone. You know some people. You don't know everyone. Or or I like a church around a thousand people. Or I like that we're large, but we still feel small. Or I like that we're just reaching this neighborhood. This is what they really meant. I'm comfortable with where we're at. Well, now we're hearing the same things again. I like we're a church of 3,000 I like poor Perry I I hear this up there oh I like that we're in one service and I know everyone Uh, Bowmanville I like that we're small but vibrant I, I like the Ajax site because there's so many different Sunday options well I just need to say this everyone again not out of anger this just it's a declaration to reach more people and to obey God as we've been called everything is on the table always. Expectations and comforts will not dictate what we do in this church. We have something so significant to do, that's always secondary it always happens like this. Well, I wish C4 would do that activity or I wish we'd have this ministry. There's always cultural expectations, gender expectations, personality expectations, and ministry expectations. And all of this can move you intentionally or unintentionally to this place of becoming cynical. My friend Kerry Newhoff just wrote in his new book, I Didn't See It Coming, Three Ways All Humans Become Cynical. First, he writes, as you get older, you know so much. Actually, he writes, you begin to know too much. And he quotes Solomon, Ecclesiastes 1.18, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge you get, the more grief you have. More pain, more been there, done that. More, well, I've seen this before, and let's see what happens, hands folded. More, I've done my run. Some 25-year-old should do it now. I'm just gonna sit back and retire. Cynicism. Second, he writes, you become cynical when you project your past into your future. Cynicism grows beyond its infancy when you start to project your, protect yourself from future hurts. Oh, can I just ask everyone to really lean in at this moment? Having been burned once or twice, we all have been, you start telling yourself only fools get burned a third time. So you start to guard your heart, you shelter your soul, and with age and experience, you even become skilled at seeing patterns. And you start to do what cynics do instinctively. You project your past failures into new situations. You no longer see people for who they are. You no longer see situations for what they could be. You just see potential hurt. Past pain will become future pain if you let it. So don't let it. The third way we become cynical is you decide to stop trusting, stop hoping, and stop believing. Now we're a church. (laughs) We're, we believe in God. We believe that not God is involved, not just some God that wound up and walked away. No, we believe that he's actually here. And then we are told in the book, it is impossible to please God without faith. Cynicism chokes out faith. Faith bleeds out. And if faith bleeds out of you, it attacks the very foundational Christian understanding of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit at every age and every stage of your life. In other words, let me articulate it this way. Your pain perceived or real, cannot be larger or stronger than your godliness. Let me say this a different way. Your pain, perceived or real, cannot be larger or stronger than your faith. Age, time, expectations, large church, very exciting large change, your personal history, God-given vision, Oh, and we live in a culture that is decaying and social media driven and everything seems to be falling apart and the human natural bent towards cynicism. This convergence can lead you as a person, your whole connect group or a whole church to a little piece of land we should never arrive in, but it's so easy to get there. It's the word bitterness. And there's been one group of verses that's been ringing around in my head for the last three months. And I was unsure why until I knew about this sermon. It's Hebrews twelve fourteen, and this should become the life verse of our church in the next six to eight months. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Oh, without holiness, no one will see God. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many people. So as we're about to go to site four, as thousands of more people are about to join us, As we're about to see plan two, as all this is about to take place, the very first thing that we need to be reminded is this, peace matters. And notice what the author of Hebrews says, it's your responsibility to fight for peace. It's my responsibility. We must make every effort. We have to choose to do this. Now, by the way, I'm not writing this sermon because I'm hearing this everywhere that the church is decaying and no, no, no. This is not a rebuke. This is a helpful moment where we all need to just make sure we're good as we step out. So number one, we have to choose to be people of peace. We have to guard the the unity of our connect groups. We need to guard the unity of this church. We also need to even guard the unity of our families. This is how Paul put it this way in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, because it's not always possible, it takes two to tango. Someone may not want to. But if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, You live at peace with everyone. So the first thing that we need to commit to as a church is we're about to step out is I will be a person of peace. I will not cause gossip, dissension. No, no, no. I'm a person of peace. Why? Because God has asked me to be peace in his community. Second of all, holiness is not optional but is essential for us who actually do follow God. In other words, if you're a Christian, I know some of you aren't, but we who are followers of Jesus, we are called to a standard and a life that's not normal. Our culture views it as backwards and weird. We are called to live lives that honor God in secret, in private, and in public. Holiness leads to the growing presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say this again. The more that you live a holy life, the more the Holy Spirit isn't grieved, the more the Holy Spirit is in grieved, the more encounters with the Holy Spirit the community has. The more encounters with the Holy Spirit the community has, the more worship takes place, the more freedom that takes place, the more conversions that happen. So in other words, you're like, well, John, how do I live a holy life? Well, here's how you do it. Don't have any other gods before God. Don't make, da- make, uh, make or bow down to any idols, religious or secular. Don't take God's name in vain. Honor your mom and dad. Rest. You, you want to actually hear how to live a lo- holy life? Learn to rest once a week. God rested on the seventh day, and he commands us to rest. Why? Because he wants to teach us, A, the whole world is not up to us. B, it helps us trust him, and we learn to realize we need to rely on him. Want to live a holy life? Don't murder. Don't hold anger in your heart. Don't lie about things. Don't ever lie. Don't steal people's reputations or their stuff. Don't commit adultery, virtually, mentally, or physically. And don't covet other people's stuff. Here's how Paul put it in Colossians 3.5. 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. And greed, by the way, says, is idolatry. Oh, why? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Do you want to know when Jesus comes back, when the great judgment takes place, why there will be a judgment? Oh, these items. So we as Christians who have hope and joy and salvation and forgiveness and new life, we are called in this moment to be people of peace. Our culture is not a place of peace. We are called to be people of peace. We are called to be holy people in private and in public. And then he says amazingly, and by the way, while you're trying to work all this out, don't forget C4, the grace of God. As a church, as we grow in holiness and peace with all these changes, we must also realize the amazing, ongoing, never stopping love and grace of God. When you're angry, when you're sad, when you fall, when you do break peace, when you sin, when you're tempted to become cynical, when you don't wanna change even though it's gonna happen, when you don't wanna step out again with time or talent or treasure, when you don't get your way. Listen, here's what God says. Don't forget the amazing grace that you can find in my son. Don't forget the amazing forgiveness you can find in my son. The same author of Hebrews wrote it like this in Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like us, and yet the difference is what? He did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Have you ever thought about it when Adam and Eve sinned, the very first thing they did because they thought it was the best plan was to hide from God. Let me just say this to you again, whether you follow Jesus for years or a few months or days or you're seeking to see if he's real, never hide from God. Number one, he already knows what you've done, so you're already found out but two, he is love. Hiding always leads to darkness. Openness always leads to healing. In this moment as a church, number one, let us be people of peace. Number two, let us commit to a level of holiness that is unnatural but called for. Let us be people that access the grace of God. And most significantly, in this critical moment as we step out, do not let a root of bitterness grow in you or spread to people around you. Now, the context for root of bitterness is from an interesting place. It actually comes from the time of Moses in the wanderings. And it actually is an exact quote from Deuteronomy nineteen twenty nine eighteen. And here's what Moses said. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose hearts turn away from the Lord our God to go and worship the God of the other nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such a bitter poison. What is the author of Hebrews saying? If you call yourself a Christian, you cannot be part of the people of God and live a double life, and then think everything's just okay between you and God. Imagine you have a leak in the foundation of your basement, and you walk downstairs, and there's a little water, and it's rising, but it's covering such a vast space, there's such a large quantity of water, you don't fully realize how much water there is because of the vast space. You think, well, it's a puddle and that's upsetting, freaks you out a little bit, but it's not that bad. But you don't realize the damage or cost it will have on the house above until you really start taking stock of how much water there is. In other words, what is God asking our community to do? As he's commissioning us to step out, as thousands of more are about to come to faith, be baptized, and join us, as we have local and global influence in a way we never have before, we first all need to go before the Holy Spirit this week in our devotional life, in our walk with Jesus moment and say, Holy Spirit, talk to me about your view of my holiness. How am I doing? By the way, if you are a person here today and when you were three or five or six, you said a prayer and you said, yeah, I became a Christian then, but there is zero life change in your life, you're not a Christian. Because a small prayer doesn't make you a Christian. The evidence that you've become a follower of Jesus is you think differently and you change. Is it instantaneously? No. Can you struggle? Of course. Is it a lifelong journey? Yes. But if there's no change you have not encountered, it is impossible to meet Jesus and not be changed. But for us who have met him and are walking bit by bit, let us hear this again. We are called to live holy lives and deny what we want because we love him more than we love ourselves. So in other words, no to ongoing sin, no to mental agreements like I'm worthless, I'm alone, I'm garbage, I'm nothing, no to sexual sin, no to occultism, no to false religions, and yes to our God who is a good Father who loves us. But there's more than that type of bitterness. This is a call to deal with bitterness in all forms. Ill feelings, ill will, bad blood, resentment, dissatisfaction, discontentment, grudges, sourness, rancor, and spite. You know how this spreads because you either have produced bitterness or you've been on the receiving end of it. It's about how people think. It's about how you use your body language or your words to cast suspicion on a church, an organization, a family, or a person. Well, if you really knew the story, dot, dot, dot. And what happens a bitter attitude net does not allow you to see people properly. A bitter attitude spreads and comes out of you when it's there and affects other people. It actually is like evil seeds that cast out disunity, cast doubt on people through attitudes, thoughts, and stories. So let me ask you a question, not because, by the way, I think the whole church is bitter, but let me just ask, are you bitter? Are you bitter about this church? Are you bitter about what we're doing? Are you bitter about a church you came from? Do you have bitterness issue between family members, others in community, maybe at your work? God is calling you to face down this poisonous root because he loves you, because he wants you to be free, and because he wants this whole church to be holy and whole together as we step out. Why? Because, like I've said, God has asked this church, not because we're better, We say this, we do not believe bigger is better. We do not think we're the best church in the block. We do not think we have it all together. We are just trying to obey what God has commanded us. And so between now in January and June as we hear what we're about to do together and as we prepare to step out in new ways, God is asking us as his children to be very serious about this verse. And so I'm gonna ask wherever you are, would you just stand with me for a moment? And we're gonna pray in January, that God would begin to start working this out. Uh, If you're a Christian and you'd like to open your hands, you're welcome to do that. This just means I'm open to God. If you're not a Christian, you're even welcome to do this. But let's just pray a few things. Number one, let's pray this. uh, By the Spirit, through Jesus to the Father. Thank you that you love us. Thank you. Number two, thank you that you have actually assigned us to this task. And we afresh, as a church want to say yes. Yeah, we're going to do what you've asked us to do. You've asked us to reach 10,000 people. It freaks us out in the Canadian context. We're going to do it anyway. So amen. Let it be so. But a few things we need to pray about. Number one, Lord, we pray that these things that we've just heard about would be dealt with. So Lord, we pray, Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit to deal with cynicism in our church. Wherever it's growing, show up there, we ask. We pray that we would be people in this church that are marked by faith, and Lord, we pray that you would begin to confront bitterness in us, that if we've promoted bitterness to others, you'd begin to undo that work, and bring reconciliation, and salvation, and hope. We're gonna ask that our church would be holy. We're gonna ask that our church would be unnaturally holy. We're also gonna pray now, in Jesus' name, that there would be peace in this church, and we pray that the grace of God would grow in this church, that not one person would hide from Jesus, but there'd be this profound openness about our struggles because he loves to forgive and loves to restore us. So we just dedicate ourselves afresh in this moment to Jesus as our Lord, to the God-given spirit-inspired vision to this church and continue to do the unnatural among us. And we ask this in Jesus' name and we all said together, Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.